1: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Yes, and if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzzwords, I have two of them for you, bribery and corruption. Ooh, you don't want to miss this show. Okay, let me set the stage here. The dynamic global economy brings great opportunities. You're in business, you know that, but with it? comes great risks whether you're on your home court or on a new global playground whether perpetrated by your own staff parentheses trusted staff or a third party parentheses somebody you might have engaged to do business with new flavors of bribery and corruption fraud schemes are keeping regulators boards and executives Mm -hmm. awake at night big question of the day can technology help them sleep the experts speak. And do I have a panel for you today? You have to stay tuned. This is going to be a lot of great information. can save you a lot of trouble. We're going to first hear from Vincent Walden from Ernst & Young. He says, very interesting, fraud is similar to fashion. Things get hot, then they fade away. In the early 2000s, pre-socks, financial misstatements and cooking the books. You all know what that is. In the mid-2000s, stock options backdating was the hot thing. And for the last four to five years, it's FCPA and insider trading. We'll hear from Vincent Walden in a few minutes, and he will explain to us, by the way, he's calling in all the way from Madrid, Spain. So we'll be talking to Vincent in a moment. Also on the panel today is Thomas Fox. He says, I can call him Tom. He's an attorney and independent consultant, has a good overview statement for you. Think about this. Your compliance program is a living entity. It should be constantly evolving. embroider that on the side of a, of a blanket somewhere and put that up. Very important. And rounding out our panel today is Melissa Lee from SAP. Her last name, by the way, is spelled L-E-A if you want to look her up. She quotes Warren Buffett, and why not? It's over 100 hours of radio shows, and I think this is the first time a guest has quoted Warren. And Warren says, listen up, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and Five minutes to ruin it. I think we've all been there, done that. If you think about it, you will do things differently. Thanks for the great quote, Melissa. So join us for Eye on Compliance. Focus on anti-bribery and anti-corruption. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are live today is Tuesday, May twenty-first, 2013. Where is the year going? I have a quick question for my Game Changer listeners. Hey, you've got vast volumes. Volumes of business data that demand instant access and more than that, timely, insightful analysis. SAP HANA to the rescue. Go to our page on Voice America the Business Channel. Click any banner and you'll find a link to a free value calculator. Find out how HANA can help you with our compliments, of course. Okay, let me tell you about my panelists. First off, Vincent Walden. He's a partner with Ernst & Young's Fraud, Investigative, and Dispute Services Practice. I think we don't want to get on the wrong side of them. He leads a national team of skilled forensic technology professionals, focusing on what else? Forensic technology, investigations, e-discovery, anti-fraud analytics. I didn't know we had anti-fraud analytics. We'll find out more. Vincent is a CPA and a certified fraud examiner. His publications have been featured in ABC News Online, The Economist, Fraud Magazine, Internal Auditor Magazine, and Compliance Week. Welcome, Vincent Walden, all the way from Madrid. How are you today?
2: Well, thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm I'm based in New York, but just happened to be dialing in from Madrid this week. So appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, thanks for making the effort, the time. By the way, what time is it there, Vincent?
2: Yeah, it's about five or six o'clock (laughs) p.m.
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay. Can't wait till we get the what's in your cup today segment in a few minutes and on the after the first break and see what you're drinking and don't be shy. Okay. Joining yeah, no you doubt. is Thomas Tom Fox. He's practiced law in Houston, Texas for 25 years. Tom is now an independent consultant. He assists companies with anti corruption and anti bribery compliance and international transaction issues. And there's our what I alluded to in the opening, our global playground, our global marketplace. Tom is the author of the award winning FCPA Compliance and Ethics blog and the international best-selling book, Lessons Learned on Compliance and Ethics. His second book, Best Practices Under the FCPA and Bribery Act, was released recently. How are you, Tom Fox? Where are you calling from?
3: Actually, I'm calling in from Washington, D.C. today.
0: Wonderful. Are you having a beautiful sunny day with highs predicted in the 80s like I am here on Long Island, New York?
3: I don't know because I'm at a conference and I haven't been outside yet today.
0: Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens later. Thank you for joining us and thanks for taking time out of your conference, Tom. And Melissa Lee is Chief Global Compliance Officer for SAP Group Companies. Melissa manages a team of 26 attorneys who specialize in international laws related to what else? Bribery and corruption prevention. That's why she's with us today. Also competition law, revenue recognition, and U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission regulations, international trade compliance, international employment, Law and white collar crime. Ooh, I think we're going to have fun talking about that. Melissa oversees also a network of 83 local subsidiary compliance officers in SAP subsidiaries globally. You're a busy lady. Welcome, Melissa Lee. How are you today?
4: I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you for taking time. I know you're super busy and can't wait to hear about your perspective. So let's go back and rip apart our monologue and see what all of these wonderful quotes meant. Vincent Walden, Ernst Young, you said fraud is similar to fashion. Things get hot and they fade away. Talk to me. How often does the trend change? How do you know when something's hot? Who says so? Vincent, do a little explaining for me, please.
2: Well, thanks, Bonnie. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. if I were, if I could predict, I'd be a rich man. But, uh, no, <laughs> you know, the trends, you know, we can only look back and see what the what those trends were back in the days. And, you know, it's funny, as I look out in the future, I think perhaps, you know, FCPA, anti-corruption, it's here to stay. Um, in fact, we just did a global fraud survey, and, and the, the sentiment was still pretty concrete. Um, when uh, global CFOs that were surveyed, 20% of them said that they were willing to make cash payments to win business. The message still needs to get out there. Um, so it's still a it's still a rough landscape.
0: Vincent, what change? What what is in the fashion fraud idea? The fraud fashion. How does oh. something get hot? Is it a lot of people do it? Is it something that you read about in a fashion blog somewhere? Hey, everybody's cooking. The book's got to get into the kitchen and do it. How does something get to be hot? Is it worried about that it's succeeding and getting past the regulators? Talk to me.
2: No, I, I, I you know I used that analogy only in the context of that it comes in and out over time. Mm-hmm. And really, what what I from my perspective, I see it as a function of just what the regulators are going after. And if you think about it, from a Sarbanes Oxley perspective, um, you know, before Sarbanes Oxley, I mean, it was mm-hmm. those big financial statement frauds, the Enrons, the World Cons, et cetera. Um, and over time, um, you know, with Sarbanes Oxley, that really sent the message to CFOs and CEOs and boards across our public companies. And uh, and you saw a lot less of that. So then you think about it from a regulator's perspective, what's next? Well, there's this old law on the books since, what, 1978 called the FCPA. Mm-hmm. Let's think about enforcing that. And and sure enough, they did. Um, and, uh, you know, except for the, the stock options backdating, which was another perhaps loophole back in the mid-2000s, FCPA has been quite the area of enforcement action uh, with uh, our Department of Justice, as well as, of course, globally. Uh, in the U.K. with the passing of the bribery, U.K. Bribery Act and uh, and other countries adopting similar legislation.
0: Vincent, I'm going to do a little level setting here because I had to look it up. I'm so sorry. But for those of you who, like me, have been living under a rock when it comes to fraud, FCPA is the – am I right? It's the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Is that right? right?
2: Yes, ma'am. Yes? yes, ma'am.
0: Okay, good. Glad I Don't got pay it right bribes here.
2: It's to government officials. <laughs>
0: There you go. There you go. Well, we have a lot more to speak with you about during the show, Vincent, so thank you again so much for joining us, and thanks for the fashion statement. always catches people's attention. Let's turn our attention to Tom Fox, attorney and independent consultant, and he says your compliance program is a living entity. It should be constantly evolving. It sounds ambitious to me, Tom Fox. Talk to me.
3: Well, ambitious is certainly a word you could use. I think within the compliance community uh, there's either frustration or confusion, and the reason is that the there are very few actual cases that go to court. There were, where a judge rules and it goes up on appeal. So laws created and so lawyers can read and give an opinion. Most of the de, um, Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission enforcement actions are through private settlements called deferred prosecution agreements, and that's the way the Department of Justice communicates to the compliance community about what they expect or what their standards are, and. What we've seen over the past several years is today's cutting edge technique practice procedure will become tomorrow's best practice and will come next month's standard practice. So we've seen it evolve. It continued to evolve in 2012, and we're continuing to see evolutions from the departments thinking about what are the best practices moving forward.
0: Okay, thank you very much. And uh, let me just ask you another question, Thomas. Who is in charge of the compliance program? Whose head goes on the guillotine, if you will, if it isn't maintained as a living entity, if it doesn't evolve, if it gets stuck, if it doesn't keep up with what these fashion trends are perhaps, as Vincent alluded to in his opening statement? Who's the one whose heads roll?
3: Well, it can go all the way up to the very top of the corporation. It can go to the CEO, Uh, Compliance is typically run by a Chief Compliance Officer, but sometimes that person wears the hat of a General Counsel as well. So it's at the very highest level of the C-suite of a corporation.
0: Okay, so it's way up at the top. Good to know. And let's turn to a lady who knows what we're talking about, Melissa Lee at SAP. You quoted Warren Buffett. Couldn't be more apropos, Melissa. And he says, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. Why did you pick this quote from Warren? And how does this relate to our topic
4: of anti-bribery, anti-corruption? Melissa Lee? Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, Bonnie. This quote usually is taken in the context of an individual's professional reputation, and Mm -hmm. that's certainly important. But the reason I picked it is for any multinational company, this really should underlie the strategy of your compliance approach as well, because people sometimes, when you're talking about bribery and corruption, want to point out studies that might show that in the short term, corrupt companies do well financially in emerging markets, or um, maybe people will point things out like companies that have corruption problems, sometimes their stock price doesn't take a hit. But that doesn't mean you should just cross your fingers and and move forward without a compliance program, because what does always take a hit is the company's reputation. That's such an important thing to, to protect.
0: Melissa, when fraud is perpetrated by people you trusted and you have to weed them out, how does that impact the reputation of the company? Is it that you don't know how to choose your partners well, that you don't vet your employees well, that you were careless when you went into a new, let's say, a subsidiary into a new global area, you opened up a new market, and you didn't do your diligence? Does that come back to bite, pardon my French, the reputation in the ass or in the butt here? How does that work?
4: It's entirely possible that it could come back to harm your reputation. <clears throat> I think generally um, the public is willing to accept that, just statistically speaking, companies that employ large, large amounts of people, there's going to be some fraud. There, there are going to be some hiring decisions that, that weren't perfect. But as long as the company is taking reasonable steps and putting controls in place and establishing policies and doing what you would expect a company to do to protect its assets and to protect the interests of its shareholders, then those incidents, those renegades or the the people that you hire that maybe that turns out not to have been the right decision, that's probably not going to harm your reputation in a big way. But if you have just a general lack of a program, so you don't have any screening of the third parties you do business with or Mm -hmm. you don't screen people who you hire, for that matter, into positions of trust, then that's going to come through because you'll have multiple incidences of fraud, and ultimately your reputation probably will take a hit in that scenario.
0: So you'll look very sloppy. We have just about a minute and a half till we go to break. Melissa, I'd like you to tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, about what it's like being the Chief Global Compliance Officer for SAP Group Companies. Now that we have you on the panel and we were talking, I I asked one of our other panelists earlier, whose head role? So, what do you deal with on a daily basis, a nightly basis? What is the what is the person that um, – Malcolm just said I was the first person to use a cuss word on SAP radio. I'm sorry, Malcolm. Uh, going back to my previous <laughs> comment. Uh, Melissa, what, what are you trying to ferret out, if I can use that word? Are you trying to ferret out the latest trends in fraud schemes for SAP compliance? How does
4: that work? Yeah, I definitely heard when Tom listed the chief compliance officer among those whose head might end up on the guillotine. And I also appreciate Vincent's quote where he was comparing fraud to to fashion. Where I thought Vincent would go with that quote is that the way people perpetrate fraud constantly changes. When I first stepped into my job in 2007 as the global compliance officer, I came from the U.S. and I relocated to Germany. We were Mm -hmm. doing due diligence or investigations on third parties at that time. And I thought, well, this seems like an exercise in futility because nobody would be so foolish as to have something obvious in their publicly available information that they might be a corrupt company. But we uncovered just shocking things in companies that were presenting themselves as our potential business partners in, in Russia or Kazakhstan or China. Now it's harder to find those kinds of obvious symptoms. We still do the due diligence, but every time you find a way to clamp down on fraud, it pops up in a different angle. Interesting, Melissa. Yes, go ahead,
2: Vince too. And if I could, we can add. Perhaps we can discuss this after the break too, because you talk about it's always changing, and what's also important is the tools that we use to analyze them and look for it from a compliance monitoring perspective has also fundamentally changed. And we could probably discuss that after the break.
0: We certainly will. As a matter of fact, Vince, I'm going to let you be the one to open after the break, and you can bring that up. Hey, guess what? It's time for the break. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we're still talking about eye on compliance. Is it your left eye, your right eye? I suggest, and my panelists suggest, you have to keep both eyes on the road. Focus on anti-bribery, anti-corruption. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad, take us out. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Lots more.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers.
0: And it's time for our segment called What's in Your Cup Today. Let's start out with Vincent Walden from Ernst & Young calling us all the way from Madrid, Spain. Time of day, 6-something, I'm going to guess it's 6.18 p.m. there. Vincent, what are you drinking today,
2: my friend? Yes, ma'am. Well, yeah, you can bet right now it's a strong cup of coffee because I'm still getting used to this time change uh, from New York to Madrid. I'm, I'm here this week for a Pharmaceutical Compliance Congress, and mm. we're talking this very same topic for uh, large pharmaceutical companies. so uh but i definitely need that caffeine to carry me through
0: now i'm going to put you on the spot here vincent what's the flavor of the coffee is it a special brand a special brew is it hotel coffee give us a little more romance here if it's madrid there must be something something romantic you know about the coffee
2: well you know what spain brews very good dark strong coffee everything seems mm-hmm. to be an espresso here and uh so it's just strong black with a little bit of sugar
0: sounds good you got it high octane i can tell tom fox talk to me you're in washington today what's the cup that you're drinking and what's in it
3: i'm having a wonderful cup of earl gray today
0: wonderful do you put anything in it or just black dunk the bag a couple times or do you squeeze the
3: bag a uh, little bit of sugar and uh when i i grew up in a little town in central texas and my dad drank hot tea he was the only person i knew that did that in the, first time I went to England and I asked for some hot tea, the owner of the restaurant came out and gave me the question is, you mean our tea's not hot enough? <laughs> it never dawned on me that uh, that was just tea in England. So I'm having a cup of Earl Grey in honor of my dad.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're honoring it. That's the first parental honoring we've had on the radio show. Today is a day for first. Melissa Lee, SAP, what are you drinking
4: today, Melissa? Well, I, <clears throat> I had to smile a little as I listened to Vincent. He's drinking some of the strong Spanish coffee at 6 p.m. Right now, I'm drinking water, but that's because I learned my lesson. I mentioned I moved to Germany when I, mm-hmm. when I first accepted my job in 2007, and I think for the first five or six months, I thought I had a never-ending case of jet lag because I always had a stomach ache and the jitters. And then I realized the European st- coffees are just so much stronger, and I'm yeah. drinking five or six cups a day because we have meetings wow. in the coffee corners. So I've reduced all my coffee intake to only one cup in the morning.
0: (laughs) There you you go. Very smart. You know what they say, pick your poison. And speaking of poison, Malcolm is just back. Malcolm Kimberlin, those of you who don't remember my co-producer, he's just back from Sapphire, and he's happy to be home with his rich, dark, bold Equator Coffee's Alligator French. Everybody knows that's what he's drinking. I have to do a shout-out for a second here to Malcolm. He arranged for me to interview, let's see, 28 people in two afternoons back-to-back four-an-hour interviews with thought leaders and influencers at Sapphire, mostly analysts, consultants. We had some SAP partners. We had a couple of customers. It was a pleasure. So shout-out to Malcolm Bravo for pulling off the amazing once again two years in a row. And we've got everything posted on a special date on I think it was May 14th and 15th on our show page on Coffee Break with Game Changers at Voice America, the business channel. So go find them. They're really interesting clips about what people found to be be the most compelling, most amazing game changers at Sapphire this year. Thank you again to Malcolm. So now let's get on with this show. Vincent Walden, kick us off here. We're talking our topic today is Eye on Compliance, focus on anti-bribery, anti-corruption. How do you go about finding out, discovering, analyzing the source, the nature, the impact, the cost of these fraud schemes? Let's open this up. Vincent
2: you know, Bonnie, that, that theme that we've been going with of frauds changing over times, as you mentioned, the tools also need to change. The tools that we're using nowadays are significantly different than the traditional perhaps anti-fraud tools that we used for the financial misstatement, the revenue recognition type fraud schemes. And really, the tools that we're using around bribe, to detect bribery and corruption really come down to three things statistical analysis, data visualization, and most importantly, text mining. And I'm not just talking about email and instant messaging and that kind of text mining and looking through emails, but Mm -hmm. what people are putting in the free text fields of their travel and expenses submissions or an accounts payable payment description to a third party or in their field notes of who they're entertaining or who they're seeing, that when you think about fraud and identifying corrupt intent, the text mining has been a real game changer in how we identify these potentially improper payments that lead to that could lead to you know bribery and corruption so i mean that's just been a in in summary that's been a real that's a key differentiator to how we're doing anti fraud analytics around corruption as opposed to the traditional way that it was done
0: Vincent, give me just a little bit of more detail here before we turn to Thomas and Melissa. I want to know, how do you text mine? Do you have, obviously, companies have access to everything that goes through their server so they know what I'm emailing, what goes out, what comes in. Is that how you do it? you just sit there and have somebody analyze keywords in subject lines or body copy in emails? How how does it work?
2: Right. No, and what's nice is and you think about the talk about big data and massive and large data sets, but you think about a company's accounts payable system. And I'll even geek out just a little bit from an SAP context. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the BSEG tables, which, you know, (laughs) uh, for those SAP folks that are familiar, in the the payables and disbursements tables, when you think about it, when you think about a payment, you think about, all right, someone got, there's a name, there's a check number, there's a check date, there's amount, and oftentimes there's a free text field that says description. And typically, Mm -hmm. you know, accountants generally don't look at the descriptions. They're looking at the numbers and the date of the payment, et cetera. But I say... Look at those descriptions, because when I see payments, and I've seen this before, like friend fee or special payment or miscellaneous expense, you know, it's funny. No one's going to book it as bribe expense, so they got to come up <laughs> with a creative name. <laughs> they got to come up with a creative name to describe it. In fact, uh, gosh, I've spent my... The last three and a half years working with the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, and we really think about this stuff. And we've collected a library of over a thousand of these terms in about sixteen different languages of what corruption means in those local countries. And it's been a real—it's—it's been—it's it's, it's been a real uh, help being able to mine not just for keywords, but we look at the frequency of the terms being mm-hmm. used. We look at the what's a good technique called entity extraction. Which is we look for proper nouns or locations or even from a pharmaceutical perspective we look for doctor or medical type terms to identify payments to healthcare professionals. It's really interesting how it's just this whole new world of text mining can supplement and enhance the traditional anti-fraud tests looking at the same data sources.
0: Fascinating. Thank you, Vincent. I'm going to ask Thomas to jump in here. Tom Fox, you work with companies, helping them with their anti-corruption, anti-bribery compliance. And I'm wondering, and their international transaction issues, is this a new concept to you, this text mining? Do you use it, or what do you want to add for tools of the trade, we'll call it?
3: Well, I guess uh, the point I wanted to really hone in on that both Vincent and Melissa hit, which is fraud evolves, bribery and corruption evolves, and so your techniques to prevent detect and monitor that need to evolve with it and i think that was the genesis for the statement that, that you let off reading uh reading that came from the former number 2 at the department of justice lanny brewer uh mm-hmm. as all of these evolve your compliance program needs to be uh, to evolve with that and the department of justice mm-hmm. is clearly pointing us at practitioners in the field to uh move towards a best practice of data mining, transaction monitoring, and other more innovative techniques to help prevent and detect fraud and corruption.
0: Sounds very labor-intensive to me. Melissa, Lee, are you using text mining? Should I ask? May I ask? Can I ask?
4: Talk to me. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I'm not sure if I would call it text mining. I think we use data mining in a fully compliant manner when you consider Mm -hmm. data privacy laws. Right. You can always um, look at operational or transactional data that doesn't identify any specific individual. In Europe – there, are, there have been some com- companies that have actually landed in hot water for using broader information, actual individually identifiable information, so we proceed with caution there, but we definitely do look at the data in order to identify incidents that require further investigation.
0: Very interesting. And I want to shift this a little bit. We have just about three minutes left to this segment. Melissa, I want to talk to you about the definition of what's legal and not legal. Before the show, you told me the types of corrupt practices possible are limited only by the imaginations of those intent on corrupting. And then you talk about the missteps in three categories. So how imaginative are people today? Are there groups of people, I'm dying to ask all three of you, Vincent and Thomas and and Melissa, are there groups of people who sit around with, with uh all thick bottle glasses and and uh, under a, a green uh, c p a uh, you know a, a lamp that the c p a would do the the tax person and do they say oh good let 's rub our hands together and rub the magic genie bottle and and what can we come up with to fool the compliance people and fool the investigators this year what 's going to be the fashion trend in fraud schemes melissa where who 's imagining all this? Do they watch
4: the movies do they write the movies? <laughs> Movies are definitely made about the different fraud schemes. Um, That's right. But, but I think I think that comes after the, the creativity has already landed into the business environment. Like I mentioned before, when I first started, um, we did a, a due diligence, many due diligences. But one of the first reports I read on a company that presented itself to partner with us in Russia, it was incorporated maybe the the month prior, so brand new company, and we learned that it's managing director and founder and sole employee, had only gotten out of jail within the three months prior for abuse of a public position, so accepting bribes himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we recognized that as a red flag, and they, they, they also had no resources, no uh, IT experience, and, and really the, the value they could bring from a business perspective was pretty limited. I think that corruption, however, has evolved from that when th- there were just obvious signs that were easy to find to maybe much more complex and technical. So schemes can range all over the spectrum in terms of how technical or how um, confusing and complicated they might be. You still see things on a fairly simple level if you don't have good controls in place to prevent those. But once you set up those good controls, there's always going to be some small percentage of the population that's looking for a way to get around your controls and get their hands into your pocket if possible.
0: Very interesting. We're ready for our next break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the understanding of the many guises and disguises you know that word the disguises of corruption we're also going to ask the panel vincent tom and melissa how does this impact small companies startups mid-sized companies versus the big behemoths who have a lot of work to do and more opportunities to be defrauded i'm bonnie DeGram. you're listening to financial excellence with game changers talking about ion compliance focus on anti-bribery anti-corruption we'll be right back brad out
1: SAP and Sidebase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers
0: we are and a quick shout out to hashtag SAPGRC I think it's Erin our good friend and she says in her cup today she's drinking Pete's Guatemalan San Sebastian blend sounds delicious and a thank you also Tom Fox thanks for tweeting virtual forge whoever you are retweeted SAPGRC appreciate it. and thanks for everyone who's tweeting including our tweeter extraordinaire Malcolm Kimberlin okay Who's going to kick us off? Tom Fox, attorney, consultant. We're going to talk about how do companies create that compliance plan? How do they plan to not be awake at night so they put into place, into motion, a living, breathing, living entity called their compliance plan from a startup point of view, from a very small company, from a midsize, and from the big behemoth that is assaulted from all corners of the earth. So Tom Fox, kick us
3: off, and then we'll have everybody join in, please. Sure, Bonnie. From For the startup company, it's particularly important that they think about and put a policy in place to manage their corruption risk. They need to manage what their risks are. But more importantly than the legal requirement, it's evolved to a business requirement. If -hmm. you're a startup and you want to do a uh, business with a large uh, multinational company, you have to have a compliance program. If you're a startup and you want to go to the capital markets, either through private equity to get funding or you want to look at going public, you're going to have a business requirement that you have a compliance program in place. So for the small to medium company that really wants to unlock the value of their capital, they need to have a compliance program in place. And with a large company, it's even more so true. They need to put the policy and procedure to manage their risk. That's what the Department of Justice wants to see. That's right. and okay.
2: Bonnie, can I add to that real quick? Please,
0: Vince, go ahead. yeah.
2: You know, and Tom, you are you're so spot on with that. And I take it from even from an analytics perspective, you know, there's a um, an ACFE Association of Certified Fraud Examiners statistic. Um, they do it every year on their fraud survey, and it generally they have the statistic. that basically says almost 50 percent of fraud is detected by tip or by accident, not necessarily the, all the great analytics that are out there. And really, just by having a strong tone at the top and a policy and awareness. You can take a big bite out of fraud, Like I sound like McGruff there, the crime dog, but mm-hmm. you can take a big bite just by raising awareness and having that policy in place.
0: Are we talking about whistleblowers here?
2: Uh, you know, e- yes. You know, when I think about the tip part of it, that is yeah. the whistleblowers.
0: Okay. Melissa Lee, what do you observe? Agree? Disagree?
4: Uh, I, I really like the way Tom phrased it, that it's not just a legal requirement but a business requirement, because we've had great success Demonstrating to our business people how aligned the compliance goals are with the business goals, we want to make sure the third parties we do business with don't have any obvious symptoms of for corruption. Um, But from a business perspective, they also need to be qualified. So, if you're not qualified and you don't have any IT resources and you can't really contribute anything in the in the software industry, then that, for a business reason, wouldn't necessarily be a good partner. And also for compliance reasons, that would present red flags. So mapping compliance to a business strategy really helps make the whole program more successful. If a a startup does that early and embeds that in the, the operational side of the house, then they're going to have great success.
0: Okay, I have a question for all three of you. If the bad guys and the bad gals are out there to defraud a company of any size, and we know it's happening as we speak all over the world, wouldn't they be clever enough to slip through the the eagle eye, so to speak, of somebody who is tasked with vetting them as an employee, as a business partner, as a a colleague in any business sense of the word? Aren't they slippery enough to go undetected in the first place, to get inside? Who wants to take that?
3: Sure, Bonnie, I can take that. Uh, Okay, Tom. Tom. Yeah, I think a a program really needs to have three components. Mm
1: -hmm. What did
3: you do to prevent it? What did you do to detect it? And then when you found out about it, what did you do to fix it? So the prevention prong, you need to look and, as Melissa said, perform thorough due diligence on the parties. For the detection prong, you need to have the analytical techniques, the technology in place that Vincent's talked about. And then if the situation does come up, that you find someone is engaged in bribery or corruption, fire them, get rid of them, uh, put policies and procedures in place to deal with it. So prevent, detect, and remedy.
0: Thank you, Vince. uh, Vince, you wanted to join in. Yes, what do you have to say?
3: Yeah, just a comment too. And again,
2: I I take that. I look at it from the analytical approach too. And that, in addition to the text mining, which I've already articulated, the game change. One of the other game changers is just how we look at data these days from a visualization perspective. We're able to see. You know, traditionally we look at things in like from an Excel standpoint, looking at things in rows and columns. But now we're looking at things in dashboards and graphical interfaces. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking for anomalies and patterns, um, going beyond traditional kind of rules-based tests and going into these model and visual interfaces has really helped us identify where we see fraud risks. And, again, my disclaimer on analytics is that they're not going to find the fraud. They're only going to help you know where to look for it, but uh, the visualization is a key component.
0: Thank you. And Tom Fox, I want to ask you if you would tell us a little bit about a recent blog you wrote on May 19th called The Drugstore Cowboy and Compliance. I know it involved a convicted felon, woohoo, hoo named David Whitaker. It involved Google, the big G, and it involved black market illegal steroids and human growth hormones online sales. Can you elaborate a little bit for us? And I think people will find this a very intriguing story, and then we can all dive in. Go ahead, Tom Fox.
3: Sure, this is a situation where a convicted felon sold uh, uh, black market steroids out of Mexico into the American market and was convicted for that. And he told the tale to the Department of Justice that actually Google sales employees helped him design his website to get around the protocols that Google had in place to prevent them from advertising people who were selling illegal drugs or illegal pharmaceuticals. And he set up an entire sting operation, or the Department of Justice did, and uh caught Google in this to the extent where Google actually had to settle for a $500 million fine. It was a clear situation where internal protocols were overridden uh, by company employees so that they could gain um, money and probably increase their bonuses and salaries. So a very, very, very important lesson that companies need to look at their customers as well.
0: Very interesting. Uh Vince, Melissa, you want to comment on that? Familiar with that? Any other big names in fraud we should know about where a company was had a, a group of people who are conspiring to defraud on a grand scale? Any other case studies?
4: Um, I can't really say I can think of any groups of people trying to defraud large companies as, as a concerted practice like that. I would definitely agree that if a bad guy is out there who wants to steal from a company, um, and it's that person's intention to get hired into a position of trust and they say all the right things and do all the right things, there's a chance they're going to get through um, the hiring process at a minimum. And, and that's why companies need to set up oversight controls, make sure everybody involved or everybody who could see what that, ex- that executive or that person in a position of trust is doing um, would know when, when, to, when to identify something that doesn't quite seem right. And I've, I've heard it said by many experts, and I've seen it play out in practice, that if you rotate people especially in uh, positions in finance or where they might be account payable, have a regular oversight for a a finance-critical function, then that Mm -hmm. might help you just knowing that that rotation is coming. It might help you prevent fraud in the first place.
0: Very, very interesting. Who did I hear in the background? Was that Vince wanting to jump in?
2: No, you know, I think uh, I just echo those comments. So um, I think the tone at the top is really the key to the deterrent and um and, and raising awareness, I mean, in terms of the fraud schemes out there, just pick up the Wall Street Journal and it's about every other week someone's getting nabbed for this.
0: Okay. I want to talk about risk management experts. Who are they? What's their training? What's their DNA? Where do you find them? How does a big company put in place? Let's start with you, Melissa Lee. This is probably something you're very, very knowledgeable about. I'm, I, yes, from your talking points. Risk management experts. You say one answer to getting the necessary information to manage risk and ensure accountability is using technology and automation to complement audits conducted by, fill in the blank, risk management experts. Who are these people, Melissa? How smart how diligent, how dedicated do they have to be, and how do you vet them in the
4: first place? <laughs> That's a really good question. There are a <laughs> few different disciplines that contribute to the overall broad concept of compliance or risk management. The whole risk assessment process, um, That we have a group called GRC, Governance, Risk, and Compliance, and they manage mm-hmm. our risk assessment approach. They can come from all different backgrounds, legal, audit, finance, or even a business role. I think the most important factor is just a passion for doing the right thing. Um, People with audit backgrounds, people with finance backgrounds, my own team is people with legal backgrounds. We all have to work together to look at the different approaches that might happen or the different um, symptoms we're trying to identify in order to find or prevent that fraud from happening in the first place.
0: Okay. Tom Fox, from your legal perspective as well as Melissa's, what do you see in terms of who's qualified, who has the right mindset, the right training, the right personality to go into risk management expertise as a profession.
3: I really look for someone who is process oriented, who understands that if you have a process in place, you need to follow that process, but more than simply following that process, you need to validate that process. You need to have that second set of eyes. Melissa talked about, you know, moving employees around within an organization to prevent Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps indicia of fraud, but the same sort of concept, I think, works in the process validation where another group, another person, uh, another task force would look at something to make sure that the process was followed and nothing really slipped through the cracks.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Vince, want to add in?
3: And Bonnie, Yeah, if I could. Yes. I would Please. also say,
2: as it relates to not just fraud, but specifically bribery and corruption, mm-hmm. the, the lens that an analyst needs to look at for a bribery con- corruption perspective is different from a financial misstatement or an asset misappropriation type fraud scheme, which is more of the traditional type frauds. And that lens is more of the bribery and corruption, looking for improper payments, for example. Because from an asset misappropriation or a financial statement perspective, it could very well be a legitimate vendor who was vetted, et cetera, et cetera, but still getting paid kickbacks, or a, or a fake vendor scheme could have been approved and set up fraudulently, but that money is being used to pay bribes or kickbacks. And again, that's where that text mining and that corrupt intent comes in. But really. The professionals, and this is where I see a lot of teaming with legal and compliance who understand the rules around FCPA and bribery and corruption, etc., are teaming with internal audit, for example, and saying, look, can you help us with the field work and these transaction testing and these analytics? And I'm seeing a change in perhaps, you know, the internal audit teams of companies getting more bribery and corruption focused and not just Sarbanes-Oxley and internal controls and processes focused.
0: Okay. Thank you. And I, we have just about two, we have two minutes before the break, before we go to our big crystal ball segment, where I'm going to ask each of you, Vincent and Thomas and Melissa to polish off, get that old chamois out or a dust cloth or whatever, polish off the crystal ball in case you haven't used it in a while and tell me what this is all going to look like. Fraud, corruption, bribery, the schemes, the analytics, regulations, compliance in 2018. But right now, I want to know what kind of analytics would be the preferred tools for the kind of corruption we're talking about. Vincent, since we just left off with you, what do you Think.
2: What type of analytics? The type of mm-hmm. analytics that we'd want for corruption tools would be those that go beyond rules-based matching, querying, sorting, the things that we do in spreadsheets. We need to move beyond those tools and incorporate statistical, text mining, and data visualization tools to really flip the data upside down and look in, at it from different ways, because that's when, and pretty much only when, uh, you can look at it and identify, you know, improper patterns. Gone are the days when statistical sampling will help find, you know, uh, improper payments. You need to look at 100% of the data, which again, puts us in these big data challenges.
0: That is key. You need to look at 100% of the data today. Very, very key. Tom Fox, just quickly before we go to break in one minute, what do you say, would you recommend to the companies you assist, you help, you consult with in terms of analytics tools? What do you tell them they have to have? What's de rigueur if you want to have a good compliance program in place with analytics
3: to detect? Uh, from my perspective, the key is to do transaction monitoring. Look at the numbers, the dollars that are paid out, the, the value that's paid out to your third parties, uh, to your own internal salespeople. Anytime money leaves the company, are there any patterns which uh, begin to show something that, as Melissa said, I think was great? It doesn't seem right. And if it doesn't seem right, investigate it. Use the data <laughs> to uh, raise a red flag and raise your hand. There you and, go. Tom, and don't want... forget that free text field
0: fill, And also, I, I sense somewhere in there is buried that good old-fashioned thing called gut feeling. If something just doesn't feel right, look right, smell right, maybe it isn't right, so go check it out if you're in the risk management expertise area. Okay. I want everybody to polish off the crystal ball. We've had a great couple of segments here throwing around all kinds of ideas about compliance, and eye on compliance is our topic. Focus on anti-bribery, anti-corruption, anti-fraud find them vet them analyze them and get rid of them you got to do that we're going to come back with crystal ball segment speaking with my special guest today vincent walden thomas fox and melissa lee so don't even think of touching that app that dial whatever you're using to listen to us we'll be right back brad out
1: SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Always talking business, talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions. Send an email to bonnie.d.graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers.
0: Here we are, and it's time for the crystal ball. I can't wait to hear what my three experts have to say, if they can look as far ahead as 2018, a whole five years out from today. So let's start with Vincent Walden from Ernst & Young. Vincent, is that crystal ball nice and clean and shiny? And how far ahead can you talk to me about what will bribery and corruption and anti-bribery and anti-corruption and compliance look like five years from today? Talk to me.
2: Well, I still think if I look in that ball, and I, I still see clouds coming through. However, I still believe that bribery and corruption will still be on the radar of the regulators at least three, if not four, years ahead. But here's something else to think about, because I'm always asking, "What's next?" And you know, from an analyst per, analytics perspective. I'm always wanting to, you know, as long as there's fraud, I want to be building tools to detect and prevent it. So as I look out on the horizon, though, I'm seeing things around perhaps human rights-type violations from the regulars. So if you were to think what's after FCPA, perhaps it might be compliance around human rights issues. We're starting to barely see that or or initially see that, even with the passing of the Dodd-Frank Act with this thing called conflict minerals. And there's new tools and new compliance requirements around conflict minerals. It says if you're mining, and I'll probably get these wrong, tin, tungsten, tanganese, and gold, they call it three T's and a G. Okay, you have to report through your supply chain. If you if it's in your product, you got to report through the supply chain um, as to whether that where they come from. Because if it's a part of a certain part of Central Africa, that's an issue that's reportable under the the Dodd Frank Act, which is coming out next year. It's got a lot of companies talking about it. And again, this is that starting of perhaps human rights or issues around that being perhaps one of the next regulatory focus. That's that's my crystal ball
0: okay and what about fashion you talk we started in the beginning fraud is similar to fashion things get hot then fade away anything you suspect from movies books or or blogs or tweeting is there something cooking underneath the surface that we should be looking at or you don't want to give that away yet
2: well no i think you should still i mean bribery and corruption is still hot um and okay. and again i you know the are uh, we just like i mentioned we just did a global fraud survey and the feedback that we got from over 3,000 survey participants around the globe was still that uh, bribery and corruption still happens in their organization, in their industry, and there's always an expectations gap where everybody says it's going rampant in their company or their country Mm -hmm. or industry, but it's not happening to them. (laughs) Interesting.
0: Interesting. Okay, thank you, Vincent Walden from Ernst & Young, Ian calling all the way from Madrid. Spain. Thomas Fox, attorney and independent consultant with us today from Washington, D.C. What do you see, Tom Fox? What do you see in your world, the companies you consult with, and what do you see from your legal perspective and in general globally? What's happening in the next five years in terms of focus on anti bribery, anti corruption?
3: I think companies, uh, Bonnie, are going to move towards uh, more monitoring and managing of uh, relationships and transactions after the contract signed rather than. Uh, uh the due mm. diligence and the pre-contractual signing that uh, we have uh, really focused on so far so i think that means there'll be more transaction monitoring the types of uh, large data mining that vincent's talked about i think there'll be more continuous monitoring of third parties so that if a company initially passes a due diligence screening but later pops up on one of the special designated lists or other information comes up, that will be brought to a company's attention during the term of the contract. And even relationship monitoring. You can look at emails to determine relationship without going into some of the keywords that create the privacy problems. So I think there's going to be a much more comprehensive use of technology to monitor to try to prevent uh, bribery and corruption going forward.
0: I want to ask you a quick question. I don't think we've used the penalties word, Thomas. Do you think penalties for bribery and corruption, I don't know where they would be if there could be such as a, an, internationally, uh, an internationally blessed compliance type of penalty. Do you think st- stricter penalties, prison terms, uh, hand slapping, wrist slapping, fines would help deter or are we way past that already?
3: Well, the uh, Department of Justice has been very successful in um, getting very big fines out of people. And one of the criticisms has been that they need to actually go after individuals and put people in prison as a deterrence. Uh, but I think on the international realm, with so many other countries passing anti-corruption laws, that U.S. or other companies may now face a multitude of different jurisdictions who want to get a fine and penalty if a, corruption, or a corrupt act occurs.
0: Okay, thank you very much. And let's turn to Melissa Lee, SAP. Melissa, what do you see in that crystal ball? Can you look five years out for me? And and you agree, disagree? You want to add or subtract from what the other panelists have said, please?
4: I I definitely agree with both Vincent and Tom. Um, I also think as far as whether corruption will continue to be a hot topic for prosecutors, I think that since the beginning of time, wherever there's money and power, there also is the possibility for some corruption or abuse of that power. So that's definitely going to continue. As far as uh, prosecutions or some internationally enforced penalties, that may very well be an outcome of the international efforts of organizations like Transparency International. We're seeing more governments pass more aggressive laws about anti-bribery, anti-corruption, and we're even seeing um, some of our emerging market countries like Russia passing laws and and really stepping up and enforcing those laws, making a a clear and, and, and observable effort to rein in corruption. I think that will continue, especially with um, the more successful emerging market countries when they want to play in the international business field and they realize they're going to need uh, products and services and they're going to need to partner with multinational companies. Multinational companies are subjected to these laws: the UK Bribery mm-hmm. Act, the US FCPA. So we are really the almost the enforcement mechanisms. It's it's hard for emerging market countries to prosecute individual businesses that are local businesses. They maybe don't have the infrastructure, but if a multinational company is doing business in that emerging market, that multinational company can be prosecuted in its home country. Um, So I think that as emerging markets continue to succeed and grow, that their infrastructure, their enforcement mechanisms, everything that goes along with that will also um, grow.
0: Thank you, Melissa, and I have a question for you. The old phrase, art imitates life, life imitates art. I mentioned something about movies. I know there's a huge movie coming out in the next week or two with Jesse Eisenberg and a major cast about uh, some illusionists who, while they're on stage, are perpetrating the robbery of some huge global banks all over the place, and somebody catches on and, and figures it out and tries to stop them or or punish them, rep- apprehend them. So my question to you quickly, Melissa, in the time we have two minutes, I'll give you 30 seconds. Do you think the movies are an influence, the romance, the charm, the wow, look at what they got away with, even if it's only in the movies? Do you think this inspires this kind of corporate fraud, get, keeps people awake at night thinking about new fraud schemes, how clever they can be? What do you
4: think? The glamour, I meant to say. Hmm, I, honestly, I might be a little cynical in this regard, but I, I tend to think the movies um, come second. I think that the glamour is out there already. And the movie makers realize, hey, this is kind of interesting and sexy for people. They understand the concept of bribery. They certainly understand wealth. And then abuse of that wealth makes for good movies. So uh, I remember a movie early in my career. I know George Clooney was in it. I, I can't remember the name of the movie, but my favorite quote was um, it was about corruption. And one of the in-house, in-house lawyers said, I, I have the FCPA tattooed on the inside of my forehead, but yet still corruption goes on. So I, I know that followed uh, that followed the prosecutions in the U.S. and and I, I try to use that quote from time to time. We'd like to. We'd like to see it tattooed on the insides with more foreheads, perhaps.
0: <laughs> we would. Thank you. So now I'm going to challenge everybody. If you know the movie George Clooney was in with that quote from Melissa Lee, uh, tweet it to hashtag SAP Radio. You know what? It's time for my predictions. I have one minute left, and here we go. Coming up tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers, how smart is BI without a strategy? Such an evergreen topic. We're doing part four. You don't want to miss it. May 29th on Coffee Break, in-memory technology for SMEs, small to mid size enterprises. Real possibilities. And June 5th, Power to the Patient, giving you, the consumer, your medical information you need to stay healthy and alive via mobile. Next week we're on Financial Excellence, the evolution of business planning. You don't want to miss that. And June 4th, the new CFO agenda, tying predictive analytics to financial performance. I want to thank my special guest, Vincent Walden. A pleasure. Tom Fox, wonderful. Melissa Lee, fabulous. It was wonderful to have three great minds, great intuition, great Expertise and insights i didn 't mean intuition, but you know what with fraud, you have to have a gut feeling, and I bet that 's worthwhile too. I want to do a shout out to Aaron Hughes, Malcolm Kimberlin, Michael Lortz, and Brad Ryan, and the business channel team and One last thought to my listeners: put your seatbelt on here it comes the call to action. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break, Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.